0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Athea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, we're sitting down with Joe Robertson, and um, we've actually aired this episode before, but something glitched with the system, and um, it only got like 60 downloads, which uh, you know is just uh, very low for an interview. So um, there's a handful of you that have heard this episode already. You're welcome to fast forward through. But uh, clearly, a majority of you have not had a chance to listen to this one yet, and so we decided to re-air it. So um, basically, we talked about a couple really important things. The first was why it's so important that we protect kids, and not protect them by shielding them, but protect them by having hard conversations around sex, honest conversations around sex, doing it at a young age. Obviously, it has to be age-appropriate. But really, making sure that we're teaching them to, uh, you know, to have conversations about this acceptably, but also to think critically about the subject. Uh, we talked about ethical porn and why it isn't so ethical, and we also talked about why the porn industry is so successful. A little bit bizarre to kind of think about, but really, um, if you do actually get into it yeah, there's a reason and there's a method to the madness. And there's um, just some, some agendas that are at play that I think if we can unearth them, it at least gives us a little bit more perspective on, you know, what's really going on in the industry. So all of that is um, is covered, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Joe Robertson has a very well known TED talk, hundreds of thousands of views. She works especially especially with couples that are facing betrayal, betrayal trauma, and porn addiction, and a, a bunch of stuff in between. She's a, a phenomenal educator, great communicator. You're going to learn a lot from this episode. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Joe Robertson. So here's the million dollar question: How are men like us who work hard? have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right. Well, I am beginning the most highly anticipated interview of 2023, that is for sure. Joe, you and I have been trying to make this happen for a while, and we finally did. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's yeah, a long time in the making.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but I'm glad we we kind of made it work. Uh, you have had such a tremendous impact in the space of, um, you know, porn addiction recovery, uh, sex education, and, and I would say everything in between. And so I'm super excited to have you here. I wonder if we can just jump right in. So one of the things that I know you love talking about is uh, just how pornography and sexual behavior in general, how it impacts relationships. And I think that it, it, that sounds so basic, but our generation really doesn't, or our society doesn't really think about it very much because we've become so sexualized and I feel like oftentimes the downstream effects aren't really thought through. Uh, this is just what you do. This is normal or it's common or however mm-hmm. you want to phrase it. Um, I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about like the current climate um, of just the sexual behaviors that people are engaging in, how it's impacting relationships and, you know, any, anywhere else you want to go from. But I, I thought that would be a good place for us to start.
1: Yeah. Great question. And, and you're right. You know, it does sound so simple and in some ways it sounds really obvious. Like, oh, of course, if you're going to watch some stuff, it's going to impact the things you want to try, for example. Yeah. But I think historically the way that we've thought about porn consumption or media consumption in general is it's an it's an I behavior. So I watch something. So maybe it'll mm. impact me, but actually it's a we behavior. So if you're in a relationship, it's a sexual behavior that's impacting the person you're with. As well, Mm. so it's a type of sexual act. Watching porn, just the same as other types of sexual acts that you might do with a person, and so it's shaping you. It's having an impact, but it's also because anything that we engage in sexually does impact the person we ultimately have sex with. Yeah, it's it is. It's going to impact them, and in in different ways. So it's going to impact them physically, and it's going to impact them emotionally, and I'm going to say mentally as well. Separate those three out a little bit. Okay, so physically it might be the things that you say in the you know the theoretical bedroom obviously people have things in lots of <laughs> other places
0: but if we just call
1: it that yeah. <laughs> so you know it might impact them physically in terms of what you try with them and how you talk to them so, or what you look like when you're trying to be intimate with them so lots of the women i work with for example they describe a blankness when they're with their partners like like their partners who are consuming porn sometimes will even like look off to the corner instead of looking directly at them. Hmm. So those are physical manifestations of the impact.
0: Hmm. And
1: then we've got the emotional ones. So that's the feeling of, um, I just don't feel good in my body now anymore. Or I don't feel safe because you're watching all these other women get unchanged or, you know, do things in front of you, even though it's on a screen doesn't make a difference for most women. Right. So it, it, it feels unsettling and sometimes it feels traumatic, particularly if it's a strong value of yours to be monogamous. So some people have a higher uh, emotional impact than others based on the culture, subculture or value set that they have. Okay. And then you might have some mental impacts and that's like um, questioning the relationship, questioning, do I even trust this person? So I've got a feeling, but do I even like trust their character now? Do I feel like I trust their parenting? You know, there's this stuff that runs through their mind and it creates feelings obviously, but it's also a whole lot of thoughts and they don't know what to do with those. What does this mean for my future? Can I trust them with my finances? Like, it impacts all this other stuff that people often don't anticipate.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So there's kind of an interplay, like in one sense, I I mean, I totally agree. This is not an I conversation. Even if you're single, this is a we conversation yeah. um, because down the road, this is going to come into play. So there's the impact it has on relationships, on the other person. And then you said something about the physical aspects, which which is that it could even affect how somebody talks, you know, during a sexual activity. and um, I'm wondering like how much the content and the nature of, you know, genres and whatever plays into these dynamics, just because, um, you know, I know there's some research out there that would suggest the nature of typical pornographic content now is a lot more violent. There's a lot more physical behavior just beyond like the, the act of sex itself. Um, is that starting to like influence the way people are, the way guys are, especially, you know, showing up in the bedroom?
1: Yeah. I'll add another little kind of micro example there too. So um, lots of, so I work with mostly women whose partners, whether that be husbands or living partners or whatever, have uh, sexual behaviors that they don't feel comfortable with. That's become out of control. That's become problematic. Anyway. So um, for example, the woman might say to me, you know, what he does now is he just kind of grabs me sometimes. Like, I'll be doing the dishes or, and he'll just come up and kind of grab me. And it feels not intimate.
0: Hmm. It
1: feels abrupt or abrasive. Almost. It feels like I'm not participating. I'm being something is happening to me, not with me. And that makes a lot of sense. If you think about the way porn is now, which is that it's really fast. There are, no, <laughs> like There's no, no affectionate. No,
0: yeah. <laughs> no.
1: There's no affectionate behaviors, conversation, communication, either like in the lead up to an act or in the debrief of one. So, behavior nice. happens, sexual behaviors happens straight away within the first 30 seconds. And so, if we take that script, which is what it is, and we play it out in our real life, you know, for, that might work sometimes, but a lot of the time, the way it's going to land is, oh that felt weird (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) you haven't even talked to me for the last half an hour and now you're like grabbing my bum i just Um,
0: right yeah
1: (laughs) and so it might look really exciting on the screen but it doesn't land well in real life um but you know people get ideas from what they see and that makes A lot of sense so there's nothing essentially wrong in getting ideas of what you see it's the ideas that you're consuming and then playing them out in the way that impacts your partner yeah okay so the if we think about mainstream porn you know it's an interesting one around the violence so there's lots of research now that essentially suggests the actual acts of violence are declining so slapping you um kicking you that, that, that kind of really obvious physical aggression is declining in porn. Not like massively, but it's definitely getting less. But what we are seeing an increase in is non-consensual behaviors Mm -hmm. and really um, what I would call kind of slippery, invisible aggression. Like it's hard to identify that's what's happening unless you hold a really critical eye. So somebody is pushing someone's boundaries repeatedly until that person says yes great let's do it so we might look at that and go oh yeah they were just like doing a bit of teasing or pushing them you know like just encouraging them a little bit and then ultimately the person decided that is what they really wanted it can it can kind of look okay especially if it looks a bit flirty on the screen but the way that plays out again in real life if we adopt the script is that someone feels bullied into the mm. sexual behavior, and then they sometimes feel traumatized by the fact that they ultimately felt they had to say yes, or you wouldn't leave them alone. Wow. So it's this—it's um, this really confusing messaging. It's what we call the token no, as well. Like somebody says no in a porn scene, but what they really mean in the porn world is try a little bit harder.
0: Right. Like, just push
1: me. Just push me a bit more. You don't. You don't have to believe my no. And in real life though, that's sexual assault. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not like, it's not like he's punching her or slapping her or kicking her and being like, you do this to me, you know, it's different.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's not over. It's like microaggressions.
1: Yeah. But the, in real life, the trauma is exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Right. So talk about the trauma a little bit. What What are the impacts, uh, because I mean, you're talking to married men who maybe don't even realize, they're not even aware that like they translated a script from all the the hours and years of porn they've been watching into the bedroom, into their marriage or whatever their relationship might be. Um, What is the impact that this has on their partner when when they do that?
1: It is immense. (laughs) <laughs> the, yeah I bet. the pain is the pain is really deep you know lots of women describe it as as a death as a death a death, a death to their relationship like they feel oh. as though the person they were married to died and that their marriage died with it because oh. it's like a, a nothing about my life is what I thought it was oh. you know I thought we were I thought we were monogamous or I thought you held to the same sexual values as I did. You had the same sexual ethic and maybe that's been explicit or implicit. So maybe they heard their partner say, I, I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not into that. I don't think that's going to be good for me. And so they took that as their word, or maybe it's been implicit, like they're part of a community or a faith, or they just have kind of um, unspoken expectations that you won't go to strip clubs or you won't, go onto live chat sites and, and talk to women or you might, won't have an only fans account or whatever there's this implicit like sure you wouldn't do that you would know that's not okay for me right so it plays out in lots of different ways and all of those things are, are, are porn really and so when they find out it's a it's a death to what they thought their life was hmm. I like I thought you were my safe person i thought you were my best friend i thought you were my support system i i thought you were my long term security and now you are none of those things cuz i can't trust you wow and so often what the guys will do is they'll be they'll initially be like but it wasn't that bad like you know look at those guys over there they're crazy bad <laughs> or <laughs> or they'll say something like but everybody does this or this is just really normal but for the partner none of that matters they don't, it it doesn't matter that you didn't sleep with somebody else, or it doesn't matter that all of your friends do this as well. It, It matters what you did to them. Right. And so they, guys in the early days can get a little bit defensive, do a bit of minimizing, like, hey, you need to be empathetic and understanding, like this is something that's been an issue forever. And there's some truth to that, but ultimately it's a betrayal. Yeah. And they' can't, they can't dive into empathy when they feel that deep pain.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So wh- what are you doing when you're working with a woman who is uh, you know who has this partner, she's feeling betrayed, she's obviously feeling traumatized by what she's gone through. What does that process look like?
1: First up, I want to say it's a really hopeful process. So I see a lot of success in couples. By far, the majority of couples can survive this. Good. So I don't ever want people to feel like if I tell the truth, it's going to mean the end of my marriage or my relationship. Cause my experience is that it's not, and you can have a far superior, much more um, exciting, authentic, beautiful relationship after the truth has come out. You can't achieve that until the truth has come out. There'll right. always be a little block block between the two of you. And, and sometimes the woman will say that they'll be like, Oh, I always felt like there was something kind of off.
0: Yeah. Like, they was, always know. Yeah.
1: yeah. They always know. And they, they, they sometimes they've got words for it and other times they're like, I just, it feels like there's a, some kind of distance between us and they don't know what it is, you yeah. know? So telling the truth is like definitely your friend, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's only going to, it's going to be hard in the short term, but it's only going to lead to good places.
0: Yeah. So what we, we're doing? Sorry, is, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I was just going to say, no. We often tell our audience like you basically have two options in that situation: you can confess or you can be caught, and all the things that <laughs> yes. you fear if, that of confessing rarely happen, but they are they are much more likely to happen if you get caught, right? So it's yeah, it's yeah. that short term pain on the front end, but it's worth it in the long run for the relationship.
1: Yeah, the trauma is uh, much less when it's disclosed right. as opposed to just dis- discovered.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 Put.
1: So what we're doing in the early stages is we're just trying to build as much safety into that relationship as possible. And so that, that looks like lots of different measures that are going to make her or him who's in the, the betrayed space feel safer. So, I need you to like not have a phone. <laughs> or I need you I need you to like I need all your passwords. I might not ever use any of those passwords. I might right. not ever look at your computer ever at all, but I just need to know that I can. <laughs> right. If I feel like I if I feel like I need to, it's like a security. Um I need you to check in with me every single day about your you know reflections, what podcasts you're listening to, what books you're reading, I need you to go to therapy once a week for a year. Like it's it's often really, really practical things. And because everything emotional in them is like often run, leave, this is not good for you, this is not safe. So nice. we have to do what's called scaffolding, which is like propping it all up and keeping it all safe and secure with really practical, physical, tangible changes. Okay. And it's so the way that I describe it to a couple is if you can imagine trust when the trust goes it's like a brick house that's fallen to pieces. And what we're doing over time is we're putting one brick on at a time. Yeah. So every every time you walk into the house from work or wherever you've been and you put the phone on the counter and you don't pick it up again that's a brick on. Cuz nice. they can see where your phone is. They feel secure, they know you're not doing anything in that moment. They can their body essentially can relax a little bit. Yeah. Every time you say, Why are you being so dramatic? When are you gonna get over this? Hey, it was two months ago. Why haven't you moved on? You take like five bricks off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and that happens a lot, doesn't it? Like I think guys maybe don't have the most realistic expectations unless they're informed about this process and they think like, yeah, I did like two, I put two bricks up so we should be good to go. Not realizing like this is actually one brick at a time here.
1: Yeah. And, and what I say to guys sometimes is, you know, you can really escalate this process or you can slow it down. So Mm. it will go way faster. Healing will come much quicker to your relationship. You know, intimacy will come much quicker, great communication will come much quicker if you do all of these things. Right. If you do th- if you do three of them and not all five, it's gonna go a bit slower. That's your choice. Right. So they they don't they've got a lot of um they've got a lot of influence in the recovery process. So they can they can speed it up or they can get defensive or minimize or whatever, and they that slows it down
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense so okay i want to switch gears j- just a little bit because we touched on it earlier but the the nature of the porn industry and you're talking about how um certainly like the nature of like mainstream content is evolving it's changing um but i i i do wonder if sometimes people just aren't aware of what the industry really is about, what it represents, what's really going on. And I'm wondering if you can maybe comment on that. Uh, let's imagine that you're talking to someone who's totally green. They've just been a consumer and they've not really given any consideration to anything beyond the screen.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay. So if you if you imagine it's it's a for-profit industry. So they're not in it for your sexual well-being, they're not in it for your relationships. They're in it for you to get turned on as fast as possible and stay on their site. And they want you to stay on their site because then you see more ads. So it's a, and you you might click on to another one of their websites. So a few big, if you can think about it, like a few big entities own a lot of sites between each of them. And the money just goes round and round and round. (laughs) So you'll be on one site and then you'll see an ad and you'll click on to another site, but it's still owned by the same company. So, they just want to keep you there and move you around all their platforms. Mm. And ultimately, a certain percentage of those people will end up paying for porn or paying for live chat services or whatever. And that's when they'll really make quite a lot of money. So, they're making a lot of money off a smaller percentage of people.
0: Right. They're really,
1: I would say, they're really interested in getting children and young people watching porn early. Okay. So, just like any other industry, Coke. You know, they want to advertise to the youngest possible consumer so that they've got that person for a long time. They're a for-profit industry. This makes a lot of sense. So they use a lot of what I would call child marketing strategies to win over or make their sites feel more palatable, um, to remove any barriers to younger people accessing their stuff. So in a classic example of that is there used to be like a black screen when you would, if you would click on porn, if you would go Pornhub.com, then there used to be like a black screen about five-ish years ago. And it would say, are you over 18? Tick this box. if Yes. And that's, you know, obviously quite a benign security feature, <laughs> but if you're a seven-year-old, that feature makes quite a big difference hmm. because you initially, you don't see any content at all. You can't see any of the scenes and you get this little eek moment of, oh, I'm not actually that old and maybe I'll get in trouble. Right. So, it, so it puts a, it puts the brakes on for a lot of kids. Those don't exist anymore. There are no black screens on any sites. It's just a free for all. So if you are like, I've got three boys, I've got three boys, they're all young. And they, if they made, you know, one wrong Google search term, there's apart from like filters and stuff, there's no real boundaries to them being able to just see 12 videos all at one time on the desktop. Wow. Yeah. And they'll use children's movie characters or TV characters as part of porn scenes, sometimes porn games, for example, the font will be really childlike and primary colors and makes it feel really accessible to somebody who's young and like, Oh, this isn't scary. This is a bit fun. (laughs) So they are a really, um, insidious industry in that way as well, but for profit, so it makes sense. Right. And then you think about the content itself. So, what they're doing is they're pulling from mainstream media a lot of the time. So, what's happening in, you know, let's like most popular movies or the most popular TV shows, what kind of sexual acts are there? Because we're a porn industry, we've got to step it up. So, as the mainstream media sexual behavior becomes more explicit or there's more nudity, et cetera, then porn's always got to go up a few levels higher. Right. So they pull from themes, which is we've seen a significant increase in family oriented content. So, mother, daughter, brother, sister, daddy, daughter, that kind of stuff. In the last five years, it's grown exponentially. Sometimes, like 60 to 70% of a homepage will be family themed content. Wow. And it aligns almost perfectly with when Game of Thrones came out. So. And that has a lot of ancestral sexual content. So, if you've got mainstream media doing something, then you've got porn doing something, but doing it at a higher level. Wow. And they're not concerned (laughs) about (laughs) what you think or feel about that, because what they know is that people are ultimately curious. They like novelty and they want to be shocked often. And basically, you can get turned off, turned on, off anything. So a lot of people will say, "Oh, I don't really like all that that stuff," but it still turns me on, and it ultimately can shape culture without us even realizing it.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Well, and and the you know you talked about kind of the business strategy of it of like they want your attention and attention's I mean attention is like the currency of the digital age anyway, right? Like the ad revenue is is considerable for these companies, but then. When something ends in something super pleasurable, you always go back to the source of it, right? Like there's a recurrence there. Um, and that's something we talk about a lot with our clients. like they end up um, you know, bonding to certain certain actors or certain genres mm-hmm. or you know whatever it might be. Um, and so I what you're just saying is uh, makes a lot of sense. It's very eye-opening. Um, I want to ask about the family oriented stuff because I've been commenting on that as well. I've been paying attention to just what the top keywords are year over year. And um, I didn't, I never connected the dots with Game of Thrones, but I can see what you mean because Game of Thrones already has so much nudity in it that um, they could then, you know, build on that and basically escalate it. It's like, it's like just the extreme version of it. Do you think there's, um, there's a dynamic of like uh, people playing out traumas, uh, relational dynamics or that kind of thing, in, in the content that they're watching? Do you think that's playing into that at all or not so much?
1: Oh, definitely. You know, I've had, I've had numerous clients who something's happened to them often in their developmental years, uh, you know, up until about 15, and they it's been confusing sexual experience. They haven't known how to make sense of it. They haven't known kind of what meaning to draw from it. They sometimes haven't talked about it with hardly anyone or no one at all. And they use porn to make sense, to understand. Hmm. And so they go to it essentially as a traumatized person trying to figure out their story. And unfortunately, what often happens is that their experience is invalidated. So what you, like a classic example would be, Let's imagine a girl was, and this could be, you know, any gender, but let's imagine a girl is sexually abused by dad as a child, as a, let's say 12 year old or something. And then she, that happens over a few years or even just once she stumbles across porn and she sees some porn there that's called teen. And it's like a daddy daughter dynamic. And she's like, Oh, like, this is what happened to me. And like what what was that and then she watches that and what is her experience ultimately that the teen girl enjoyed that had a good time and that she wants it more so right. something must be wrong then with me victim survivor something must be wrong with me that i was really upset about it that i was was i, I probably was too dramatic like i What, why did I respond that way? And obviously, other people do enjoy this. So, we hear this story so often. I watched the porn to try and understand my experience, what I felt was invalidated, shamed, and ultimately, it's a form of victim blaming.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that I would say that's pretty congruent with what I observe in my clients as well very similar dynamics. And um, and the invalidation as well makes a lot of sense. While we're talking about the kind of the, the children and how they're involved in this, you mentioned like how the barrier to entry is virtually non-existent, uh, nonexistent in a lot of places. Um, I, I know there's like, there's certain places where laws are being passed. Like Louisiana has just uh, passed a law in uh, the U.S. for uh, age verification protocol. And like there's there's pockets of it, right? But obviously on the whole, tons of work to be done i guess i'm just curious you know you said you have three boys what are some of the things that you're thinking about or some of the measures you're taking uh on the more preventative side because i'm very aware the scope of my work it is it's i i hope that i don't have to exist you know one day like that would be the dream because we've done (laughs) so much work on the preventative side that you know the it's gone down and obviously i realize that's like a little bit idealistic but I really do stand by it. Like I think if we want to be preventative about this, we have to really think about how we're informing the kids, how we're protecting them and everything else. Um, and th- I realize there's so many different directions, like political or what have you. But I guess I'm just curious on a more personal level and within your family, what are some of the measures you take to really protect your kids?
1: Well, we know overall your best strategy for young people and, and this is when it starts with kids is conversation. Right. So. All young people under the age of, let's say, eighteen, will see porn <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. Like the way that we are at the moment. So that yes. didn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily how it was ten years ago. Um, and as a result, all of those young people will have to make a decision with what they do with that. Do they go back again? Do they talk to you about it? Like, what do they do after that moment? Mm. And the thing that's going to inform that choice is your conversations with them. So you can put on a million filters. And by the time they're 14 research suggests they're basically redundant, which isn't a reason not to use them, but it's, you can not, you can't use it as a default.
0: Right.
1: And that's what people often do is they're like, got a filter. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so I'll have a chat to them when they're like 13 And we'll, that'll be good. We'll leave it at that. Right. And it's just, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know, naivety, ignorance, wanting to be blind. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Uh, But it's
1: it's frustrating. Uh, So filters are great, but they only go so far. Your children, no matter, you know, really from the age of four, your children are leaving the home and they're going to other people's homes. And those homes don't necessarily have filters and those homes don't necessarily have strict device rules Mm. so you'll get one home that lets their kid go on youtube on their own device for rest time and let's imagine your kids over there at that time well youtube is filled filled with a lot of sexual content and porn so the idea that your filter at home is just working wonders is not true (laughs) and so so we started conversations with the boys really early and we didn't talk about porn specifically in those early years, but about media. So we talked about photos and videos and TV shows and movies where there might be naked people, where they might see people kissing or touching each other, and what should they do then? Hmm. So what should they do? They should tell the adult where they are, or if they feel too uncomfortable, they can come home and talk to us about it. They're never going to be in trouble. It's always going to be okay. and um, That it's more important to share you know basically in every instance it's our job to protect them Uh, but they also did some unpacking like with us around media they did consume so for example you know Paw Patrol there's one girl and five boys in that show and so I would I've got all boys so I'm hyper aware of their um (laughs) I need to teach them (laughs) to be really aware of women's rights and gender issues stuff like that so I then you know after a show I'm like hey what's going on with the show why is there only one girl and they'll all be like yeah that's weird and they won't have thought about it ever at all but just that very those two sentences right there by themselves build critical thinking there was they watched you know jumanji or something the new version and one of the women in it who's going into the forest is literally wearing like a sports bra and cropped shorts you know and it doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't watch it. So I'm not trying to wrap anyone in a bubble. I'm like, we're going to watch the movie. It's going to be a good time, but let's talk about why she's wearing that. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I said, have you noticed how the men are wearing like fully clothed, like they're all covered up because there's probably a lot of mosquitoes in that jungle and she's not wearing very much. And why do you think that is? And they said, oh, cause they, they want us to look at her. I was like, yeah. Wow. They want us to to look at her because she looks nice, she looks beautiful, and they want us to look at her, and they want us to watch more of the movie or the next one. Hmm. So it's advertising. But when you have all of those little conversations in the early years and about other types of media, they take that intel straight into porn. So when they see it, they're like, oh, (laughs) Why are there four men here and one woman and why is she the only one who's getting hurt? or why is she the one who's being called names and it's not mutual? You know they have mm. a, a critical lens there that even though they might not have like all the words, they've started their their thinking. Yeah. So people think you know to pre- to prevent porn impact, they need to talk just about porn. No, no. There's one piece. You need to talk about media, you need to talk about gender, you need to talk about consent, sexual relationships, all that other stuff. That's porn education as well.
0: Wow. Yeah. See, that is really helpful because um, I think a lot of people, a lot of parents, at least the the parents I've spoken with, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to speak as some resident expert on the matter. But you know, I, I think that's a lot of the mental blocks is like, oh, but if I have to have the conversation, then what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Do I have to talk about all my mistakes and my shortcomings? Isn't that going to give them permission to just like do what they want anyway? Um, and it becomes just like hyper focused on the conversation around porn, and um, the, and it, it's it's so much bigger than that. It's it's much broader. Can can you talk about? So you talked you mentioned consent. I don't know if that was an official list you were giving necessarily, but what are some of the other <laughs> things that they can be talking about as well? Because that that was super helpful.
1: So definitely gender. You want to find as many opportunities as possible to talk about gender with your kids, no matter what gender they are, Um, because the way that they perceive their own gender, the way that they perceive others is going to be one of the biggest, like top three Mm. determinants on their sexual life. So, you know, sexual health is one thing, but the way that they actually interact with another partner is hugely dictated by their understanding of gender. So as much as possible, you want to unpack gender messages wherever you can. So you've got consent, you've got gender, sexual health. So that's just like staying safe stuff. Um, and then communication, respect, some extra, like what are the, you think, like what makes really good sex in real life, even if you're having it or not? Like what would make really great sex? Okay, that we could talk to each other, that it was pleasurable, it felt good, that it was consensual. That's That's the stuff that you want a young person to know before they watch porn. Because then when they see it, they're like, oh, well, there's none of that present.
0: Right. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so we, for example, have had um, you know all the various intercourse, reproduction, puberty chats with our kids. And now my oldest is at the understanding more about porn and, and what's available and out there. Um, but it all feels very, very natural because of all the preliminary conversations that had be- happened before that.
0: Right. And how old are your kids, just for my audience's sake?
1: So my oldest is nine. Okay. And then seven and five.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's really helpful. And the the other thing you said, you you mentioned it in passing, but I think it's kind of mission critical to all this. It's not about having the conversations. It's about teaching them critical thinking skills regarding the subject matter can you elaborate on that a little bit and maybe I don't know if you even have an example of like what what would be like the example where it's like this is someone just trying to have the conversation versus this is someone actually teaching their kid to think critically about the subject mm.
1: okay so let's let's say there's been a um you're watching James Bond or something <laughs> as, a, as a movie as a family um and so, there's lots of sex scenes. Obviously, in every James Bond movie, they're usually very short. They're usually like um there's usually hardly any communication. They kind of transition quite quickly into bed, have sex, and she is left naked essentially while he goes off and continues his mission. They have quite a like simple formula.
0: And right. anyway, yeah, you so you just broke down movies. every James Bond movie sex scene. Yep. <laughs>
1: so she. So we're not trying to. Bubble. like it's okay if you want to watch the movie it's all good uh but it's the thinking that goes after that so let's say after the movie then you're hanging out with your kids and you go um you ask a question like hey what did you guys think about that scene? like what do you what did you think she was feeling what did you think she was thinking when he left
0: mm.
1: like do, do you reckon they were having a good time how do we know they were having a good time so you're asking questions as opposed to one, trying to like cover their eyes so that they don't see it, or two,
0: <laughs> or two,
1: giving them a micro lecture afterwards on all the things that went wrong. When we just tell them information, they don't learn to think for themselves.
0: Mm, right.
1: So asking questions first will always prompt thinking.
0: Okay. What happens if you ask a question and they don't give you the ideal answer or they give you something inappropriate?
1: Yeah, that's fine. So if they want to have a bit of a laugh about it, you know, just go with that. And then because we're we're wanting to create natural conversations. So they're they're not like, uh, yeah, really awkward and bad where you're like, stop (laughs) laughing, you know? (laughs) So, So go with that and then follow it up with, what I was thinking was da da, da 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 Okay. And so it's not, it's not a, um, it's a personal reflection as opposed to a, well, what went wrong was XYZ. Okay
0: got it so you're trying to so what regardless of their response you're you're obviously trying to respond trying to reflect it kind of reciprocate or paraphrase or whatever it might be and then if it's appropriate or if it makes sense you insert kind of your commentary on top of it
1: yeah so what, a, a commentary might be you know i was thinking in that movie they just made it look real smooth like they made it look so kind of easy to start being intimate with someone, to start hooking up or whatever words you want to use. Like you don't have to talk to the other person and that they won't mind that you just go off and do something without like talking to them afterwards. Right. And you can say something like, you know, I, I reckon it's sometimes like a lot more awkward than that. <laughs> and you might have to ask a few questions like, you know, do you mind if we do this or do you mind if we do that? How far do you want to go? Um, yeah. Are you comfortable with X, Y, Z? Do you have a condom? You know, like, and, and then they'll laugh at that. So you, you <laughs> to give a whole, whole lecture. You don't have to say a ton of stuff, just a few things. And each conversation goes such a long way.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think, um, I, I think what I'm also hearing you say is like, it, you don't have to like perfectly articulate something. It's not so much about having the right words to speak or being eloquent. It's just the fact that you're having the conversations, you're able to do it in, you know, hopefully with a relative degree of composure. And if you're asking questions and have, helping them think for themselves, then it's mission accomplished. You know, it doesn't have to be perfectly articulated, right?
1: No, no. And we're not, because te- we're not teaching that. We're not trying to model having the right answers. We're trying to model reflection and thinking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things that you've been speaking about or speaking out about lately has been ethical porn. Uh, I know that's something you probably get asked a lot about, and it's certainly something that is, uh, I would say that's one of the more common rebuttals I certainly get. Um, like I've been, I've been pretty bold in getting my messages out into, uh, audiences that don't necessarily want to hear it. And, and ethical porn is often one of the things that we always kind of get back in response. Um, what what are your thoughts about it, and what, what do you say to somebody who's you know trying to trying to ask, I guess, if ethical porn is something that uh, that is acceptable compared to you know everything else?
1: Mm. Yeah, just like with mainstream porn, ethical porn is, has a spectrum. So mainstream porn there's a spectrum of different types of behaviors and activities and genres, stuff like that. And the same with ethical porn, there's a spectrum. So it's not a homogenous group. Uh, so We have to be somewhat careful about generalizing too much, but uh, our generalization, going straight after that, is (laughs) that (laughs) uh, ethical (laughs) porn is largely about how content is made, created, produced. So what you're going to feel more confident in is the contracts they have the sexual health practices they have, the way that they talk to each other on set, that there's more women involved in production or there's more minority groups involved in production. So you can feel pretty confident that the way something came to be on your screen was a lot more respectful of the performance and the team. Okay. So you see more equal pay, for example, like or more diverse representations in terms of... Um, race or ethnicity culture blah 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 all the things right. so that's really good because ultimately no matter what industry someone works in we want them to be treated well I you know wherever somebody finds their place of work I want them to be highly respected to be paid well for their work and to be safe so yeah. I'm happy about that what people often get confused about is thinking that ethical porn means that the content itself, will be dramatically different to what they get in mainstream porn. There are genres where you'll get differences and there there will be much more, there'll be much more spoken consent on screen. There'll be much more lube actually shown to be used. They might have more mutual pleasure going both ways between partners, but also on that same homepage, you might get content that depicts slavery. And racism as a kink or a fetish, so it's a it's just a, a problematic assumption that it's going to be that dramatically different in terms of the messaging that comes across from a scene, not just the way it's created.
0: Okay, got it. And so, is it like in? I guess I guess my question would be like if in, if in theory, let's say the. The proportions were reversed because uh, based on what I'm hearing you say, it's like ethical porn is out there, but if it's in a mixture of other more mainstream porn, like the general message from a typical porn website is more or less the same. Maybe it's rounded out a little bit by the presence of some ethical porn. Um, it, am, I, am I hearing that correctly? Or or
1: No. So you won't find a lot of ethical content on a mainstream porn site. They're okay. usually on a separate site. And... They ask for money, so they charge maybe like $5 for a scene that you can have for two weeks or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So on, on the mainstream sites, you you might get something, you might get two categories like porn for women and um, romance porn. Those would be the two places you'd find a more mutually consensual mutually pleasurable experience. Right. But ethical sites are distinctly different from mainstream sites.
0: Okay, got it. And what would be the harm or is there a harm of of an ethical site where the content is exclusively ethical?
1: So again, so like you're going to see some better content, but you're also going to see some other stuff which has got messaging that I would see as unethical. So if you're right if you're calling someone names and making fun of the way they look <laughs> then i'm concerned about yeah. the about the messaging about the messaging that you're getting particularly if you're young or a vulnerable person so ethical okay. in production but not necessarily ethical in messaging
0: yeah okay sorry that's what i misunderstood but that that's exactly what that's always been my takeaway from ethical porn like i feel like it's it's in large part, it's just an oxymoron because even though it's great that it's treating people well, and I totally agree with you, like as far as the back end stuff, certainly a, a stark improvement from mainstream pornography. But the the harmful impacts of just viewing pornography don't go away just because what happened on the back end was you know was done a little bit more ethically, right?
1: Yeah, I I I mean I'm a probably like an advocate for harm reduction in general. So if you as If you're someone who you're like, I will not ever give up porn. It's never going to happen. <laughs> then <laughs> I would strongly encourage you to engage in ethical content because I care about the performance.
0: Right. And
1: so if, if you had to choose, I would go with paying for your porn. It's going to be better for society. If that's, you know, uh, that's, uh, from a harm reduction lens.
0: Got it. And is that regulated in any way, shape or form? Like if someone is claiming it's ethical, are there, no. like, it's yeah, no. you're, you're, you're it's at the discretion of the company, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say I've seen, I was trying to count them the other day. I reckon I've seen five scenes in five years that I thought, oh, it's all right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so that, <laughs> well, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I so I'm in two ways, like, I think, you know, if my 16 year old boy saw this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like up in arms. I would think this is a pretty accurate, pretty healthy representation of sex. Um, And so I would, I would be like, "Eh, you know, we're going to be okay. (laughs) So, uh, but also that's very, very few scenes. Time
0: right okay Got it. i mean so, i mean
1: in both ways yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so okay i wanted to ask a follow-up because it i guess what you kind of implied in that statement is that you are actually going through porno- pornographic content and seeing what's out there and that kind of a thing um and I, I guess I'm just curious, like on a psychological standpoint, um, how does one govern that? Like for me, I am, you know, I, I used to be addicted to this stuff, and so I I stay away from it at all costs. I don't really go there. And I certainly lean on people like you who are able to do that and give me like, you know, actual like hard facts about like what the content is like. Um, but I guess I'm just curious on your end, like, because we've we've talked about the harmful effects this can have on someone psychologically and emotionally. And physically, um, and obviously, you're watching it with very different intents. I imagine that's kind of the basis of all this. But uh, do you do you guard against it at all, or the, the kind of stuff that that you'll consume if you're if you're watching it for informative purposes or whatever? How do you? I'm just curious how you go about that practice. I find it really intriguing.
1: Yeah, I find it intriguing too. It's not what <laughs> I ever. It's not what I ever anticipated or intended in the early days of my work. So I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to ever go on a site and I'll just read research. And then I found significant gaps in the research and I wasn't satisfied with the answers I could get. And I knew the only way I could get those answers was from the sites themselves and ultimately decided that the education that we could offer to communities was more important than my 10 minutes of discomfort. (laughs) So... I so then I started looking at sites and drawing data. So I, you know, had an Excel spreadsheet and writing things in, blah, 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 which definitely takes away the um, like any kind of <laughs> pleasure element because you're literally just copy pasting, writing numbers in, and it's not exciting yeah. in any way. What be
0: sexier than a spreadsheet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. So,
1: so that does change it a lot. And then the other pieces that porn has never been part of my life, like on a personal level. So I've I've never viewed it for pleasure. I've never even wanted to or thought about it. It's so it's so far removed from me in that way that and I wouldn't encourage anyone. And I've had you know lots of people in this work and they've been like, yeah, I used to watch porn when I was younger, and I don't know if I could now. I'm like, just don't. You don't need to. Like, yeah. And because I can, and I'm fine. So it's not something that I find enjoyable and i never have yes um but it does still have an impact so i you know case study of one i know what it's like to get desensitized i Mm. know what it's like for the images to become a big blur in your mind for you to not be able to like draw on specific memories i know what it's like for some images to stand out forever and to stay with you i know what it's like to have kind of ideas proposed to you on how to be intimate and that you have to kind of shake those off. Like I've experienced all of those things, which actually is quite helpful for my work. Yes, But I, it's, uh, I mean, but I happily go months and months without looking at anything and I don't think about it at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense and uh, there's obviously a lot of wisdom there embedded in your approach. So, okay. The one, the last thing I guess I want to ask you, Joe is, you're uh, you're really on the ground, I think in a lot of ways. like you're working with people who are affected by pornography. Um, you're skimming through the content yourself and you have an idea of sort of what's out there and you're, I mean even some of the insights you're just providing on um, some of the trends and the way they're changing in the content viewership and all that. Very insightful. I guess uh, this is one of my favorite things to ask people, but, you know, if you put your uh, your little profit hat on or your your crystal globe or, you know, however you want to frame it and you look 10, 20 years down the road what do you see in this arena um are are we hopeless with you know virtual reality and artificial intelligence ramping up um is this just an like an endless futile endeavor and um it's always going to be a problem are are things changing you know there's a lot of research that would suggest that even gen z is certainly less promiscuous and and that kind of stuff there's a, a value shift that's happening there um and i i would just love to hear your your commentary if any on on maybe the next 10 20 years in this arena
1: yeah, I mean, I don't think porn's going anywhere ever. Like, yeah. I think it's here to stay forever, and because it, it always has been here. There's been, yes. you know, cave itch, itchings of penises on caves. <laughs> you know, like that's <laughs> it's it's something that sex is something that humans always have been and always will be interested in. Yeah. So I don't have any hope that the porn industry is going anywhere. I have a lot of hope, though, for how um public appetite might force it to change. Hmm. So overall, each generation does seem to become better at critical thinking and have a higher priority on ethical everything, ethical consumption of clothing, ethical consumption of food. And, And I think that's really hopeful. And I do believe we will see more changes in mainstream porn as, uh, regulation, legislation, education, and these generations start to move things around. I think that's probably twenty years away from us seeing like really good tangible change. And we can look back and be like, oh, remember in twenty twenty three when we talked about blah blah blah? You know, yeah. I, like we've been in New Zealand at least, where I am, we've been talking about porn only really for the last five years, hmm. and there's been maybe one piece of legislation that maybe touches the surface. So that tells me Mm. that we've got a good at least decade to go before regulation starts to shift enough to, for example, um, filter out things like bestiality, which just there is a free-for-all for any any child anywhere to just stumble across. So we're a good decade away from seeing regulation like decent regulation change and then society will you know change partly as a result of that so i'm realistic in terms of the time frames i'm realistic in terms of the industry but still very very hopeful that there will be change
0: yes yeah absolutely i love that uh i know that people are going to want to find out more about you uh maybe get connected with some of your resources what's the best way for them to do that joe
1: there's a few different places if you want to you know talk about your relationship or stuff that's going down you can go to my website joe i actually work with couples from all over the world because the time zones really work well for some countries
0: oh nice okay <laughs> yeah
1: so i'm um, happy to do that if you want little tidbits of research and information on instagram as sex therapist joe and then um if you want Decent information about porn and how to talk to your young people, uh, engaging with your children, etc. then go to thelightproject.co.nz. And that's got the most, like globally, it's probably got, it's, for a youth resource, it's got some of the most up-to-date research on it.
0: Uh, amazing. This has been fantastic. Uh, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And in the meantime, just thanks for your time today. And thanks for the work you're doing, Joe.
1: You're so welcome. It's been a good time.
0: Well, I don't know about you, but I really, really enjoyed that interview. Like I mentioned, I was taking notes. I learned a ton from her, and uh, you know, she—I actually don't even know where she is faith-wise, but um, you can just tell she's got like a really, uh, a really sincere and a really pure heart. And she's just incredibly objective, and not that it's a it's a downfall to have you know like a spiritual kind of bias, because I, if I'm being honest, like I just can't imagine anybody delving into this content without Jesus and without God and without those elements really at the center of what they're doing, but um, but it is. It is neat to hear someone who's just very objective, right, and not really um, asserting her her spiritual biases, whether or not they exist. And so, um, this is like very reliable information. This is someone who literally combs through the uh, the material herself and is like uh, writing down observations. And so, um, so I want to I want to just encourage you guys as a starting point. If you found value in this, uh, maybe you know somebody else who's asking some of the questions we answered here. Please make sure that you share this with them. The second thing is uh, all of her links are in the show notes and I do highly recommend you go check her stuff out. Uh, Joe is not the kind of person who's like, Trying to build a big empire from her work, she's uh, very humble. Uh, the way she she provides help and resources, and at the same time, she is really making a huge difference. And her content is fantastic. She um, she could do a lot uh, a lot of different things in a much more uh, lucrative manner. And she's just chosen a very humble road, a humble path. And so I think you're going to really uh, benefit from her resources. Again, there's just no there's no partisan, there's no bias, and you're just going to get a lot of valuable information. And if you choose to work with her. There are uh, I'm pretty confident you'd have amazing, an amazing experience and all all of the information is there. Now, if you're listening to this and you are a guy, you're struggling with porn addiction, you don't know how the heck you're going to get out, and maybe you've tried a bunch of stuff, you're spinning your wheels, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, I, I want to encourage you. There's there's a couple things you can do, but there's really one thing that you should do, um, and that is take a look at what we offer here. Okay, now, I know this is like, oh, Cynthia, here's the pitch, blah, blah, blah. I knew it was coming. Um, but what i what i've realized is i know a bunch of you listening are struggling and you just don't have somebody who's actually like offering you a hand and and pulling you out of the waters that you're sinking in and so this is no pressure. Uh, we do this podcast completely free of charge. We don't have sponsors, ads. We are going to keep doing that. Um, but the way that that I'm able to earn a living is through the people who participate in our program. And I'm not asking you to do that um, for us to earn a living. I'm just letting you know why it is that I put an ask here at the end of the interview. If you're really earnestly seeking help, you want to be part of a thriving community, uh, you want to really apply the system we've been working that helps guys get to the roots of the issues so they can experience lasting freedom, there's a link in the show notes for you to book a call with my team. I'd love for you to do that. You just have to fill out a quick application um, and then you lock in the time. And uh, and it should be a pretty pretty quick turnaround here. Uh, we've op- opened up some extra slots for you guys specifically to do that. So the link is in the show notes. We would love to speak with you. In the meantime, thanks for listening, guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within.